I'm going to be leading us in a meditation this morning. And um, yes, thankful for so much. And, you know, today feels odd because, you know, uh, we don't have big family gathering. We're just with, you know, our close, close family. And, um, um, but I'm so grateful for the love that we have and uh, for family, friends, this community. Um, but when thinking about love, I this week I was listening to a podcast and um, this lady, Angel Kyoto Williams said this about love. We need to revive what love means and its complexity. Love isn't meant to be limited to my bedroom or my family or the people that I like. We use love to be a quantifier of, do I have preference for you? Am I aligned in affinity? Are you reflecting back at me what I wanna be reflected back at me? And if you're enhancing my idea of myself, then I love you. And I think that's often how we see love. Um, it's a very limited way of understanding love. And here's her definition. I really like this, so I've been really pondering it. Love is space. It's developing our own capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be as they are. That is love. It doesn't mean that we don't have wishes, but for us to come to a place of love means to have acceptance of what is moving towards allowance, bigness, flexibility, to say about people we don't relate to or we don't understand, oh, those people are trapped inside of a system. They are subject to an enormous amount of suffering as well. So I really like this definition, love is space. It's developing our own capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be as they are. So in developing that spaciousness, I, I just really find these mindful, mindfulness uh, practices really helpful. And um, when we allow ourselves to just be and have full acceptance of ourselves with all our failures, all our weaknesses, our own personal judgments towards ourselves, and we can make space for ourselves, we begin then to make space for others. And so I invite you in this meditation, it's just an awareness, being present kind of practice, um, to, uh, if you want to, you know, turn off your video, if you, if that you find that easier, um, we're just gonna give you some time to just be present and to enter that rest, when Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest, we're going to do that. We're going to enter that place of rest that is accessible within us. And feel free to just, you know, if thought, thoughts of gratefulness come to mind, just uh, be in that space of gratefulness. Don't try to do anything special. Just sit with your mind at rest and with what is.
There may be sounds of all kinds around you. Relax, neither pushing or pulling, just being. Relax. Thoughts arise and disappear, replaced by another thought or another sensation. Find within yourself that vast, spacious awareness that is like the sky and all the phenomena that come into your mind, like clouds drifting across. They don't change the sky. Sounds, sensations, feelings, thoughts, they aren't disturbances, they're just a natural part of what is. Rest in spacious awareness. Into your awareness comes this and comes that. Rest in your natural essence and presence. The space that is empty like the sky, the clouds come and they go. Awareness is a little like a flashlight that shines on this and that, but it doesn't shine on itself. Grateful of the space Grateful for a God that's beyond space, beyond time, in everything, everywhere God is. And just sink into that sense of presence, love, being held that big space. And you'll notice when you do this, thoughts, sensations, feelings, they come and go. Don't cling, just notice. And then just come back to that root awareness. You don't have to look holy, just keep coming back into the deepest rest. Yeah. When you're ready, you can turn your video back on. And, uh, We'll move to the next part of the service here.
And I just want to say um, happy birthday, Dean. It is his birthday today. <laughs> it's your birthday. birthday. It's your birthday. <laughs> and uh, I am going to just pray for you. Okay. Before you share. So we just are so thankful, God, for this time together that we can be as a community. And um, yeah, just that we have the, the blessing of this day. And as Dean shares, I just uh, pray that you would give him clarity and um, joy as he shares what he's prepared. And yeah, that we get some insight into just whatever you have to for each of us this morning. Amen. Amen. Great. Thanks, Janine. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, you know, there's lots of people who don't make it to 58. And uh, I'm just grateful to have made it that far. So, wow. Can't believe it. Uh, perspective is everything. I remember being young and thinking that someone who was like 40 or 45 were so old. <laughs> uh, anyway, here we are, 58. Here we go. Hey, uh, when we were divvying up uh, who was going to speak on what, I jumped at this verse in the Beatitudes. The blessed are the meek, uh, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, I love this little verse and I've written, read some good books in the past on this. And I, I have given a talk on this verse, um, at other times. Um, so let me just give you some of the different uh, definitions. The different translations are on it. Uh, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. That's sort of the King James typical one. Uh, but in the other translations, different ways that those words can be said that are legit are like, blessed are the humble, uh, for they inherit the land, uh, blessed or blessed are the gentle. You can even apply, blessed are the nonviolent. That actually fits in the definition. Or blessed are the unassuming, uh, for they shall inherit the earth or the land. Um, so... The most common misconception that I just want to just get off the table right away is this thing of this means you're a doormat. <laughs> that is not what this verse is saying. Uh, the term meek or humble uh, in the ancient language uh, comes from a, a term given to horses that, uh, that were obedient. Uh, horse, uh, particularly war horses, uh, because a horse uh, naturally is skittish. Um, uh, but a meek horse was, and catch this, this is it, strength under control. That was a meek horse. Strength under control. So when Jesus is saying this, it, you know, translated sometimes humble and sometimes meek, sometimes unassuming, sometimes gentle, sometimes nonviolent. It's, it's saying strength under control. It's not that you have no 
strength, but it's, it's the controlling of that. And um, uh, one of my favorite, well, my favorite illustration of this, because we're talking about horses, uh, Wave, if you remember the old movie from 1983, Man from Snowy River. Wave, if you remember that movie. Okay, we got the clip. We sent the clip to you in the songs. Uh, it's on the, the YouTube video feed. It didn't work to show it. I was going to show the clip here. But it's that moment when uh, all the horses are trying to catch the wild brombies. Brombies are wild horses, for those of you who don't know Aussie. Anyway, they're all chasing and the man from Snowy River is last. And the, and the wild horses all go off a steep edge and take off and, and all the, the, the guys stop. And they're like, well, that's the end of that. We'll never catch those. And all of a sudden, doo -doom, doo -doom, doo -doom, doo -doom, the man from Snowy River's horse was strength under control. It was so meek, it in slow motion goes over the edge and then runs down and he captures the wild horses all by himself. It's, it's just that epic moment in the movie when you're just like, yeah, you know, but strength under control, not, you know, losing it here and there, uh, but using strength to achieve a goal. Uh, that's what gave that man success. So, uh, so how I want to make this practical is, are you ready? Words under control. Yeah, words. Words, baby. <laughs> words under control. And, and that's all over the Bible. Like James is like in, in, his, in his gospel, like, what are you doing with your mouth? You're, you can bless people and you can curse people. You know, get that thing under control. And Paul says in Ephesians, you know, don't let anything come out of your mouth that doesn't build up another. Otherwise, zip it, pep it, button it. Don't say it. That, that's what he's saying. So this is an ancient issue is words are so powerful and uh, they can so powerfully damage or so powerfully bless. Words under control. I mean, the Bible, those words can be weaponized and have been for centuries. And so we want to use the Bible correctly. And we've been trying to address that. Um, our, uh, Janine and I were married 36 years ago. Am I right? Boom. Nailed it. Okay. And our flower girl, uh, this cute little tiny little curly haired girl has grown up and become a school teacher. Uh, she, Janine follows her and, uh, she said something to her class about words and so just to change it up, I'm going to ask Janine to read this. This is from our flower girl. We, her, I, under, I knew her as Sissy. Her real name is Elizabeth. But um, anyway, she's a school teacher in Saskatchewan. And she addressed her students with this little note. In the world that uses words like they are a cheap commodity, or worse yet, a weapon to hurl at others, I want my students to pause and ponder each time they want to speak, write, voice their opinion, or put word to thought. Before you ask the question, let me answer it. No, I most certainly do not want to squelch creative thought, ever. 
but there is such a thing as the right words in the right order at the right time. <clears throat> a gentle answer turns away rebuke. I feel like this generation may have strayed some from this truth, as in all generations living in this generation. We need to learn to speak the truth in peace and love with a fine balance of strength of conviction and gentleness and grace. Are we speaking to be heard like a resounding gong drawing attention to ourselves? Or are our words, even when they are hard to pen and harder for others to hear, still edifying? Are we communicating from a deep source of love these are the things I want my students to consider. And when we use the right words with our heart in the right place at the right time in the right venue, maybe that's really when we can begin to set things right. Great, thanks, Janine. So strength under control, meekness. Be attitudes, let's not shy away from the fact of part of that word is attitude. So, you know, we've talked about words, strength under control and using words appropriately, uh, but just in our attitudes uh, as well. Uh, attitudes, uh, so with a mixture of words and attitudes, uh, strength under control means being able to say no and being able to hear no. The opposite of being meek would be to someone all full of themselves, someone with a big ego. Uh, you, you can get a big ego when you have this delusion that you're, you're somehow so super special. I know we're all unique and we're all special to God, but there's something common that we uh, are called to settle into. I think Janine's meditation was part of that, calling us into that that common bond of humanity. I mean, think of it this way. You and I, we all have problems, sure. But when you think about it, in reality, all of our problems aren't really unique. Think about it. They're not that unique. You might be having problems with health. Well, people have had health problems since the beginning of time. You can be having financial problems. Well, that's an ancient problem with finances, uh, marriage problems. Hey, been going on forever. Other relationship problems with the mother-in-law or whoever. It's been happening. Problems at work, people you work with. These have been going on since uh, the beginning of time. Uh, so the egoic problem to, that gets in the way of really walking in meekness is something called entitlement. That, that sort of I'm special entitlement thing, it traps you into a narcissistic bubble. We're all living in COVID bubbles these days, but a narcissistic bubble is a horrible place to be. It distorts everything and everyone around you. People who feel entitled view every occurrence in their life as either an affirmation of, oh, I'm so special, or a threat to their own greatness. People who are entitled delude themselves into whatever feeds their sense of superiority. The meek are anchored in reality. 
They can accept the ups and the downs and walk in full honesty. Meekness is walking with an attitude of complete honesty, uh, comfortable in their own skin. Uh, that kind of people, uh, they know that it's not all about them. They make room for others. And then we get, get back to the Bible. And how many times does the Bible say, love one another, love the other, love the other, be kind to the other, support the other. Uh, it goes on and on uh, addressing that attitude to get us into that place of, of meekness, strength under control. The last part of the verse is really fun. It says, you know, you inherit the earth. Um, uh, this particular beatitude is a quote from Psalm 3711. Jesus is grabbing from the Old Testament, saying it here. And, he's, and, and what it says, the way it's said in Psalm 3711, in my Bible anyways, the humble shall have the land for their own. And it uses the word land. Uh, that made me think of uh, an American Aboriginal writer, uh, Eknath Eswaran, and this is what he writes. And I, I just wanted to use an Aboriginal person because they're so they're at it, they're so anchored in the land. This is what we inherit with meekness. Um, on the other reason I wanted to use it is I was thinking uh, about awakening to. Um, the Aboriginal peoples on the land. And I think the first time I ever really had any sense of awakening in my mind was as a child, a TV commercial that showed, you know, the pollution in a river and, and a, around an area. And then an, an Indian chief uh, came and he just looked at the pollution and he had a tear come down his eye. And I was like, even as a child, when I saw that commercial in the 70s, I thought, oh, we've done some damage here to the land. Anyway, here's, here's what he writes. To live simply is to live gently, keeping in mind always the needs of the planet and other creatures and the generations to come. In doing this, we lose nothing because the interests of the whole naturally include our own needs and interests. That's big picture stuff. Um, in, in claiming nothing for ourselves, we have everything and everything is ours to enjoy as part of the whole. I've been reading one of the books that Kayleen recommended, 21 Things About the Canadian Indian Act. And I found it very interesting that as uh, Western Europeans brought uh, away a definition of being rich was someone who hoarded or had, you know, kept their riches. But the Aboriginal view of rich was someone who shared. That was the rich person's very, very interesting clash of cultures that came with the uh, uh, us Europeans coming to this land. Um, even the great Christian, Francis of Assisi, he figured this out with his vow of non-ownership. From what I understand, he came from a wealthy family and he, 
he created this vow in his order of non-ownership, which he says caused him to gain the whole world. So here we've got Jesus in the Beatitudes, Francis of Assisi, and our Aboriginal friends, all trying to tell us that personal ownership is not necessary for enjoyment and happiness in life. Truth be told, after a while, you know what? Our possessions possess us. Uh, Janine and I were uh, over in the uh, backwoods of Mission. Uh, one day uh, I had been dirt riding and um, uh, she picked me up. We pulled over somewhere. Well, I thought we were out in the middle of nowhere. We pulled over somewhere to just eat a lunch that we'd packed uh, on our way home. And a guy drove up on his ride along lawnmower. And he says, hey, you're in front of my land. And it was just like empty acres. It was grand. And I was like, wow, hey, we're just finishing our lunch and we'll be moving on. And he goes, okay. He says, I just don't want any like partiers or people leaving garbage or whatever. And I was like, okay. And I said, wow, you really take pride in your, your grass and your acreage here. Uh, I said, have you lived here long? And he said something like, you know, my family's been here since the turn of the century. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I said, and your family's always owned this land. And he goes, no, nope, we don't say it that way. This land owns us. I spend days and days and days cutting this grass. It owns me. I am this land's slave. It's like, wow, uh, have you ever considered a condo? <laughs> you know, get your life back. <laughs> You're a slave to that thing, buddy. Wow. You know, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with land, but I'm just saying how these possessions can turn and, and own us. And there's a different message coming here uh, about uh, inheriting the land. Um, I actually have a neighbor who just won the lottery. I think I said this before. Janine and I regularly go for walks around the neighborhood. And there's two things I've noticed since he won the lottery. New cars in the driveway. Yeah, let's give a shout out for new cars. And a new surveillance system. I'm saying the word wrong. Surveillance system around the house. Interesting. He never had that before. You don't, you don't need all those video cameras if you're just a normal person. But you now you win the lottery, you're like, I must protect. I must, you know, I'm just, let that hang there and think about that one. <coughs> Things that make you go, hmm. Getting back to the verse in my little conclusion here. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, for they receive the land in the end. Blessed are those not full of themselves and their ego, for they get to experience real humble joy. God, I just pray uh, that we would continue to grow in our understanding of what it means to be meek or humble. And um, I pray this on all my friends that we just keep walking out this quest. In Jesus' name, amen.